We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hospital news in the Chicago area has been a mixed bag lately. Westlake Hospital in Melrose Park is closing over vociferous protests, and Rush University Medical Center will stop providing inpatient mental health care for children. Meanwhile, Cook County Hospital is expanding and rebuilding some of its facilities, and Holy Cross Hospital just opened a new mental health unit. Health care is no sure thing for many people trying to find it and for the professionals trying to deliver it. This weekend, we'll look at the challenges hospitals can face trying to deliver the best care to those who need it the most. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. You may not think of them that way, but some hospitals are safety nets, ready to catch patients who might otherwise fall through the cracks of a healthcare system that can be too expensive or otherwise out of reach of some some people, especially the poor. This is actually an official designation. The Illinois Hospital Association, the lobbying group, lists 40 safety net hospitals in Illinois. That's just under one in every five hospitals providing health services to people who otherwise would not have access, low-income, uninsured people, and other vulnerable populations. How do they do it, and why should you care? We're going to talk with two top hospital officials who can tell us how well the system works or doesn't sometimes. Karen Teitelbaum is president and chief executive officer of the Sinai Health System, comprised of four hospitals. It's Chicago's largest safety net system. The flagship Mount Sinai Hospital is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. Nelson Vasquez is chief financial officer for Jackson Park Hospital, which is nearly 100 years old itself and has been serving Chicago's South Side. Mr. Vasquez has been watching the finances there for at least 15 years, and welcome to you both. Um, Karen Teitelbaum, tell us a bit about how Sinai has gotten to the century mark and really grown into its role of serving those in need. Well, you know, interestingly, Craig, um, Sinai started 100 years ago in 1919 by a businessman named Morris Kurtzson, who uh, saw that for the immigrants in that community at that time, they were Jewish immigrants, um, there was really, uh, there were big barriers to access to health care. Um, there was discrimination. Um, many of the immigrants had no way to pay. And so 100 years ago, Sinai was started to be able to make sure that um, the people in North Lawndale had access. Uh, fast forward to today, and even though the demographics are different, um, the uh, Jewish population that lived in that area moved up north. And in the 50s, um, we became uh, a community that served African-American and now Latinx population. But the um, the DNA, if you will, is the same. We're still serving some of Chicago's most vulnerable communities. Mm. Um, Nelson Vasquez, Jackson Park Hospital is, like Sinai, a teaching hospital and a community resource um, how has it survived in this changing healthcare landscape? Well, it's it's really survived, I believe, by good management. We watch all of our expenses on a daily basis, and we flex our staffing when uh, 
volume goes up, and we flex our staffing when the volume goes down. And salaries are our biggest expenses, and by controlling that has helped us uh, survive. Now, traditionally in uh, low-income neighborhoods, many people use the emergency room as their primary care physician, um, but that's sometimes the most expensive care you could possibly get. Uh, how successful uh, can hospitals be in changing the, those kinds of dynamics within the populations you serve? You know, one of the one of the most interesting things about Sinai is it's you mentioned that we have four hospitals, and that's true. Um, but we also have a research institute and a community institute. And um, through those two institutes, we work with the community to keep people healthy where they live. For example, we've been pioneers in the use of what's called community health workers, uh, people who come from the communities we serve and who are trained in uh, chronic disease states, identifying, helping to get their neighbors who are at risk for disease into care and linking them. We partner with uh, federally qualified health care centers for primary care, and we go into the community and we link people to primary care. We also have community health workers in our emergency department in a very innovative model called um, eConnect, and they're doing the exact same thing for people who walk into our emergency department. Nelson Vasquez, I would think that uh, uh, some of this is stuff that you have had to do as well. Yes, it is. Uh, we, we've taken it uh, one step further in that we've developed a, a program that we called Golden Light, which has a specific market towards seniors. So we will go out to uh, CHA, senior buildings, and do uh, medical education to the residents of those buildings. And if they require primary care, we again link them up to a primary care physician. And are you finding that the public starts to change its habits uh, when they get better information about how they can use the uh, hospital's facilities better? Yes, uh, we've seen a a tremendous growth in our outpatient uh, volume uh, over the last two years, and a good part of that is these outreach programs and uh, patients seeing their primary care physicians. I'm wondering how uh, hospitals or how successful hospitals are being these days in getting more people to do preventive care because I think people who aren't sure whether they can afford health care very often don't get it. Uh, they just sort of assume that they're not going to be able to uh, to handle the cost. And therefore, you know, they I, I know uh, at, at Jackson Park, for example, um, sometimes if somebody came in to have a baby delivered, that might be the first time you see them. Uh, how how does a hospital get those kinds of things to change? You know, sometimes it's not as obvious as it might seem. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, we we did through Sinai Urban Health Institute, Chicago's largest uh, literally door-to-door health survey that asked not only was 500 questions, all community approved. Um, There wasn't a question that came from us that the community didn't think was relevant. English, Spanish in uh, 11 different um, vulnerable communities. And what we got at was not only, you know, uh, chronic diseases, but um, we researched whether or not people had post-traumatic stress disorder, whether they felt that they had access to eyeglasses, um, could afford um, prescriptions, 
Um, we found that one out of every two people in, our, in the African communities, African American communities we serve, um, had food insecurity. So when we talk about keeping people healthy, um, if people don't have a safe place to live, a reliable, you know, source of food, um, they don't care about coming in for their screening mammograms. So those are the kinds of things we try to look at the totality of what makes a healthy community, and, and we do it based on research. Um, how, how, mm. how does that battle go at, at, at Jackson Park? Oh, very similar. Uh, it's interesting that uh, we're talking about food here because one of the things that uh, we've done recently is we've given all of our department director meal tickets so that if they run across a patient that is in need of food or a meal, they just give it to them. They go down to our cafeteria and, and help themselves. Uh, and that's one of the ways that, you know, we've used the, the help with the food shortages. Um, I want to talk about some of the, the challenges and the roadblocks that, uh, that hospitals can face. But I want to talk about one that was in the news recently. In fact, in fact technically is happening now. And that is at Jackson Park. Uh, um, you're closing your obstetrics unit in an area where there are probably more complicated pregnancies and, than average and a, and a need for the services. I assume this was a painful decision, and I know you had to be in the middle of it because of the uh, finances involved, but uh, yeah. also a difficult decision for not just the, com- the hospital but the community. Yeah, I can tell you, Craig, that Dr. Dorsey um, basically put off trying to make this decision to close the unit for many years, not just months, but years, uh, because he wanted to continue to offer the service to the community. But last year, we had 140 deliveries, and uh, in healthcare, unless you do a lot of a procedure, you kind of lose your edge um, and we did not want to have a product line that delivered substandard services to our community. And, and can I ask you yeah. what was happening or what has been happening in the community that would have, I mean, pe- people are born every day. What, why did they not come to what is really one of the only hospitals <laughs> in that neighborhood? Yeah, if we knew the answer to that, Craig, uh, we would have fixed it. Uh, I can't tell you that for uh, patients that were in prenatal care, uh, only one out of five would actually deliver at the hospital. And uh, when it came time to deliver, they chose another facility. Hmm. And I wonder if, uh, if, if some of that has to do with how hospitals themselves position themselves. Um, I know from us talking earlier, a, a number of your people went to the Uni- U- University of Chicago. U of C advertises like crazy. I mean, everybody's heard of there, and then they have the Children's Hospital there. Yeah. Is that a factor? And, and Karen Teitelbaum, I mean, do hospitals really in some ways have to go out and grab patients? Well, I think that... Um you know, healthcare is really so relational, and um, most of the time, uh, I think people gravitate towards the relation with their physician, not necessarily a hospital. Um, I think that that has a big impact. And, you know, Chicago is so what we call overbedded um, for the amount of admissions across all of Chicago, admissions to hospitals. Um, we just have way too many beds. We don't need that many beds. 
And so people aren't necessarily picking hospitals per se, but aligning themselves with physicians or physician groups. And sometimes physicians are in more than one hospital. And if they are in more than one hospital, they might say, come to this hospital where I practice more than than another? Uh, Correct. And, you know, for example, we have uh, a neonatal intensive care unit, a level three, which is the highest level of neonatal care. And um, physicians who are on two different hospitals um, might feel, well, you know, I want you to deliver at a hospital just in case there's an issue with the baby, with the delivery. We have the... uh, Mount Sinai Hospital has the neonatal intensive care unit right there. Um, and so uh, depending on, you know, the state of the mother and, and what the risk is, uh, our smallest baby, for example, was 12 ounces. Um, so there is, to your earlier point, there are a lot of complicated pregnancies in the areas that we serve. So that neonatal intensive care unit can become a critical factor in choosing and I know at uh, at Jackson Park that it had to be an especially hard decision because they had Jackson Park just upgraded uh, or within the last few years upgraded its uh, its uh, obstetrics ward uh, to be more uh, like a, a a more pleasant place to uh, to deliver a baby. Yeah, that's correct, Craig. We we spent uh, over five million dollars to redo that whole area and that whole product line several years ago. Well, I do want to start on another topic that I think probably hits both uh, hospitals, <laughs> your your system mm-hmm. and and your hospital, and that's the fact that hospitals have to be paid for <laughs> the work they do. Uh, and I'm wondering if the system for reimbursing the institutions. Uh, for what they are doing. Is that system working, Karen Teitelbaum? Well, um, I don't think it's any secret that uh, hospitals, particularly safety nets in Illinois, have um, have worked hard to develop good relationships with managed care organizations that handle um, the state's Medicaid, uh, Medicaid-insured uh, community members. Um, we've had our we've had our struggles as a hospital industry, and um, I'm on the board of the Illinois Health and Hospital Association, and this is a topic of every meeting. Um, and what's important to us is that the managed care organizations pay us in a timely manner, pay us correctly, and um, you know pay us for all the services that we you know that we provide to the citizens of Illinois. Um, in this past legislative session, um, Governor Pritzker and uh, the members of the legisla- legislature uh, passed uh, good legislation that um, helps us hold managed care organizations and the providers accountable for, um, for being good partners in providing care, um, making sure if there are denials of care for care provided, that the denials are actually um, uh, deserved and not capricious, which is what puts safety nets like ours um, in a dangerous situation. And, uh, Nelson, I'm going to come back to you, but first want to remind everybody that you're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guests are Karen Teitelbaum, CEO of the uh, Sinai Health System, and Nelson Vasquez, the uh, uh, Chief Financial Officer or Vice President of Finance, if you want to use his f- formal title, of Jackson Park Hospital. Um, Nelson, uh, 
I know for a fact that that, <laughs> that there's a that you guys are having a problem with uh, with some of the MCOs, yes. uh, the the managed care organizations, and that has a ripple effect uh, through through the hospital. Explain what what happens when you either get slow payment or refusals for payment for things that should have been slam dunks. Okay. Well, Craig, uh, last fiscal year, uh, Jackson Park Hospital lost a little over $20 million. And the principal reason for that is that we had $25 million worth of takebacks and denials from the managed care organizations. And uh, we are not unique. And explain what the term takebacks means, because that's the one that I think people may not get if they need to. So uh, the managed care organization would send us a payment today uh, for a variety of patients, and they will reduce that payment from, actually, we had them all the way back to 2015 and said, oh, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have paid you X on this patient that you treated in 2015, we're taking the money back now in 2019. Mm. And <laughs> what are the reasons why a managed care organization might decide not to pay for work that you've already done? Well, I, I could give you some examples. <laughs> um, uh, one example is that we, um, we were denied... Um, payment for 70 healthy newborns. And when my staff told me this, I literally looked around my office and said, I don't have them here. I think that they went home with their parents. Um, That was actually, and we ultimately got paid, but we had to wait for the payment, which for safety net is very difficult. Um, But that was a technicality in that when a newborn, um, to come under insurance, the parents have to do the paperwork and get the baby onto that's not something onto the the insurance that's not something that we control we encourage we educate but we can't control that nonetheless we delivered those babies uh, another young man who was in a car accident um, broke his collarbone broke his femur um, we of course were a level one trauma center we we took care of this young man and the initial denial that we received was that um, he didn't have pre-authorization. Um, we were supposed to get two weeks pre-authorization, and <laughs> so I suppose the next time he plans on getting into an accident, we'll be sure and get that. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but these right. are the kinds of things that can't go on that we think the new legislation will help us fix. And and we've worked hard with the managed care organizations to do joint operating committees. We're together we're doing concurrent review, really trying to avoid those denials that aren't justified. Mm. Why should people who are listening to this care about such things, about you know whether hospitals are getting their money as fast as they should? I mean, and I'm asking this innocently, but I mean, I know that th- this is not a small problem. Um, Nelson, can you? Sure. You know, Jackson Park Engine is an engine, financial engine, for our our service area. We employ almost 800 uh, individuals, professionals, service workers, et cetera, and uh, approximately 80% of our workforce live in our primary service area. 
So if something were to happen to the hospital, uh, those employees would lose their jobs. Mm. And and the area would lose its health care. That's correct. I mean, that's the, the fact that we've had news stories where hospitals are planning to close and the neighborhoods are outraged uh, is, you know, I think that shows that people really depend on these institutions. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I agree with Nelson in terms of being an economic engine. We also, we employ uh, well over 3,200 um, people and half of those come from our community. Um, we also do workforce development because the unemployment rate in the communities we serve is sev- as much as seven times that of the rest of Chicago. And I think, and this is my own bias, I think that we can't have two levels of health care. Um, this is why I think people in Chicago need to care about the safety nets. We can't have one level, if you happen to live in River North, where I live, or, or the Gold Coast, and another if you're a scant six miles West. If we want to have a healthy, productive Chicago, a safe Chicago, we have to have people, we have to have communities that are healthy. And so even if you don't live in North Lawndale or Marquette Park where Holy Cross is, we as Chicagoans need to care about that safety net. Mm, Absolutely. Um, How does Sinai keep growing? I mean, we're talking about, you know, hospitals that are, are living on the edge. You just opened a new facility. Oh, you're talking about our behavioral health right. uh, crisis stabilization unit. That's right. Thank you, Craig. Uh, July 10th, we opened up a uh, 24, um, it's, it's not even 24, bed, 24 chair unit. Uh, it's Chicago's first and only crisis stabilization unit. And what it does is um, it treats people who are in a behavioral health, a mental health crisis uh, typically, um, those folks are seen in an emergency department, which is not the best environment. It's chaotic. Um, it's it doesn't. Uh, it's it's hard to get help quickly for a mental health unit. We also partner with the sheriff, uh, with the county, the fire departments, and police departments, so that people who are in a mental health crisis can be brought to our crisis stabilization unit and receive care in a quiet environment that's focused on mental health. There's a separate access. Um, It's 24 hours. Um, We do pediatric and adult. And um, we have, we've been running a pilot on this with just 12 chairs uh, since 2015. In those four years, we treated 5,000 people. And of those 5,000 people, 70% were totally stabilized sent home with referrals, with the medications they needed. They'd been observed to make sure that they're safe. So um, not only are we getting people to the right treatment uh, safely for behavioral health services, but we're also um, we're saving the state and the insurance companies and the rest of Chicago money because it's much less expensive to treat somebody in that environment than to send them home. We also opened a 25-bed unit uh, for inpatient care and a new outpatient unit all in the Marquette Park area by Holy Cross. Does that have more to do with um, with the locations, in other words, the, the, the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. the market, or is does it have more to do with the fact that, you know, that the hospital system or is, is just as a whole doing well? Well, uh, that that sounds like a setup there. No, <laughs> no, I'm teasing you. I, I'm teasing you. Um, 
really it has to do with this is what our community needs. Behavioral health for the for the communities that we serve, Medicaid, often no pay, um, no insurance. Um, clearly, it's not a profitable service. If it were, um, we wouldn't have seen in the city many uh, areas closing um, their behavioral health units, uh, closing outpatient centers. Um, we actually took dollars that we were now getting back in 2015 through the Affordable Care Act, where people who hadn't been insured were now getting insured, instead of keeping that and using it in some other way, we reinvested up to $10 million in behavioral health because that's what our city needs. Um, Nelson, I'm going to throw this uh, to you mm-hmm. first. What are the things that could change to make the path easier for hospitals that have to operate in the realm that you do, that are the safety net hospitals? Well, uh, part of it, Craig, I think would be... Um, in particular with the MCOs in the state, standardization. Uh, there's seven MCOs that are, are licensed by the state to, to provide the, the service, and we have seven different ways to get authorizations, seven different ways to, to bill and co- collect our money. And, uh, you know, we have to change our computer systems, uh, our staff. And you have to have staff just dedicated to doing this. Yes, right? yeah, we've added uh, five individuals in the last six months just to do pre-authorizations and follow up with the uh, MCOs. And what what can people do? What can the people in your in your communities do to help the hospitals and help keep their hospitals? Uh, Karen. Well, I mean, clearly, um, when you look at all of Chicago, um, we tend to be a very giving city. Um, we do tend to be a city that, that cares about the vulnerable communities. So for us, there's been a big uh, focus on building philanthropy. Um, we haven't had a change in reimbursement for uh, our specialty group. We have over 300 um, physicians in Sinai Medical Group, and they're specialists. We partner with federally qualified health centers to um, get our primary care. Um, but there hasn't been a change in reimbursement uh, for specialty care uh, for physicians since the 1990s. I mean, clearly that's one path that would be easier. Philanthropy is another path, and we're very grateful for people who invest in our communities. And, and Jackson Park, I know, also does does fundraising. Yes, yeah. And uh, the other thing I was going to suggest, Craig, is that the, the community should let their uh, legislators know how important the hospital is to them uh, because the legislators have uh, a lot to do with the, the reimbursements and how the state in particular uh, interacts with healthcare facilities. I'm thinking you would agree with that. I'm sitting here nodding my head, which your listeners can't <laughs> see, but I'm nodding vigorously. Yes. Well, I want to thank both of you for uh, spending this time with us and talking about a subject that is very important to people, and e- whether they know it or not, and they need to know it. Uh, that is uh, Karen Teitelbaum, who is the CEO of the Sinai Health System, and Nelson Vasquez, the CFO of Jackson Park Hospital. Thank both of you for uh, spending this half hour with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com, 
I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.